why in the world, if you have a choice, would you choose to make yourself feel bad as a result of just something that happened on a phone call? So we got to know it was just it wasn't a right fit or it was something that didn't work. Now, if you put it in terms of another profession, like an accountant, if an accountant's spreadsheet doesn't work out the way they wanted, they don't say, oh, God, I got rejected by that spreadsheet. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. So it's actually kind of absurd. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Art Sobchak. And Art's the author of one of the classics in the sales field, Smart Calling, Eliminate the Fear, Failure, and Rejection from Cold Calling. And a brand new edition of this book is coming out. So we're going to talk with Art about some of the essential practical takeaways from his book, like why you shouldn't cold call again, which doesn't mean that you shouldn't be making calls, just that you should be making what Art calls smart calls. I'll also talk about why you should aim to get a win on every single call and how to eliminate the term rejection in your proactive calling. And we'll also dive into the goal of a voice message. Art shares some great ideas about how to leave a question that will increase your chances of getting a response. And all in all, this conversation today is like a short masterclass on how to improve the effectiveness of your outbound calling. So before we get to Art, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. Thanks. All right, let's jump into it. Art, welcome back to the show. Andy, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. So where have you been um, where have you been hiding out? Well, I am at my home base, which is Smart Calling World Headquarters here in Scottsdale, <laughs> Arizona. <laughs> I'm formerly from Omaha, Nebraska, split time there for for a number of years, but uh, made this permanent about 10 years ago. So oh, really? yeah, living Living in paradise, and it's it's a little little warm in the summer, but I don't mm-hmm. mind it because there is no humidity. Yeah, that dry heat. Yeah, yeah, you're starting to get it, but well, yeah, it's June. I'd forgotten that's June already. It's it's uh, now. Do you carry? I've talked to people that live in Phoenix area, and they they carry like gloves with them to touch their door handles when they go to get in their cars. Do you do that? <laughs> no, I they think that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. But actually, the worst thing is the worst thing is actually getting in your car for the first couple of seconds, and then you turn on the air, and then everything else is fine. Other than yeah. that. Uh, people see on the news that, oh my gosh, it's 115. What they don't get is our 115 is like you're 95 anywhere else or like 80 in the Midwest with uh, 90% humidity, which is, which is worse. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'd rather, I'd rather be in Phoenix at a 115 than Manhattan at 95 and 90% humidity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, I like, it's cool in, in Phoenix and Scottsdale because yeah, I've been to like strip malls and other places where they got the, the water spritzers going on. So you get sort of the, that, uh, the misters, the yes. misters. Yeah. That's, that's cool. That keeps you very comfortable. It does. It keeps it, uh, keeps it comfortable. And you know, the thing is, Yesterday, I think it was 105, and I was outside after the sun went down, and it felt like it was 70, and it was it was just absolutely beautiful. Now, are you a golfer? I am a golfer. Ah. Uh, not not a good golfer, but uh, hold my own and and probably play a couple times a week at least. And so, when it's that hot, when do you go out? The funny thing is, is that it really doesn't affect me, and I'll play all times of the day. 
Mm-hmm. And the only thing is you just you drink a lot of water and occasionally you might put a cold towel on your head or around your neck. And uh, again, there's no sweat. I, when I played in the Midwest and it was 85 degrees and 100% humidity, I'd be soaking wet by the, by the second hole. So, but I imagine that, I don't know if it's true because it's such a popular resort area, but I imagine you get a pretty short round if there aren't many people playing in the, the heat of the day as you can get, get around pretty quickly. Yeah, the the courses are are fairly open midday, and for for everybody else out there, the the rates really come down in the summer as well. So Phoenix is open for business. Scottsdale's open for business. Everybody listening, so so come on out. All right, there you go. We'd like your money. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people like money these days. Um, so yeah, getting the tourism trade back will be an important part of the recovery. Certainly, you know, here in San Diego as well. So. Not many tourists. This is usually packed, right, at this time of year, which we're recording this in the second week of June. And, yeah, usually the waterfront where we live close to is, is packed with, with tourists and not this year so far. So hopefully that can change around here shortly. Yeah, hospitality business certainly has been hit hard and uh, hoping for a quick and rapid recovery for those folks. Yeah. So um, we're going to talk about your release of the th- what the third edition of your classic book smart calling eliminate the fear failure and rejection from cold calling um it is third edition right it's the third edition the first edition came out in 2010 third edition came out in 2013 and now we waited seven years and uh, here we are with the <laughs> third edition bigger better and smarter all right well so what was sort of compelling you to, to update the book? Well, Andy, the, the thing is, is that the process of smart calling really hasn't changed that much. What, what has changed a little bit is the technology, our ability to get information to make our calls smarter. And what has also changed is that I had tons of success stories from sales pros out in the field who are using the process, and I wanted to share those with with other folks because I believe that people learn not just from a process, but from examples and from their peers. So that's what I wanted to in, include in the book, and and I had so many of them that it was actually kind of hard to to pare it down. But but that's what we did. Well, and let's all start sort of at the beginning. Is is you know you sort of talk about the fact that that people even though you have cold calling in the title is that that uh, yeah you say don't call call again right because people tend to conflate this idea of cold calling with proactive outbound calling and as you point out there's there's a difference well let, yeah let's define for people who may not be familiar with with the book or the process smart calling very simply is knowing something about the the people and the organizations and the situations that we're calling into so that we can tailor customize and personalize our value messaging so that it is relevant and uh, therefore going to create some interest to cause someone to want to listen to us kind of novel concept right <laughs> What, what create interest? What are you talking about? Yeah, as opposed Just to pitch. as opposed to the pitch, as opposed to the dumb cold call, which is calling somebody up that you don't know, who doesn't know you, who's not expecting your call, and giving them the same me and product oriented pitch, and and asking for something, 
without knowing anything about them, even if they may might even be a prospect for us. And I still get those messages. I still get those sure. calls. I would imagine you do as well. And there's absolutely no reason today with all the information available to us and the technology and sales enablement, uh, including ring DNA, of course, to get people to, uh, to, to use all these tools and really make it easier on themselves and show respect for prospects. Well, so let's, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit, because this is a topic that is coming up increasingly is about sales behavior. And, and I think it's really important, at least in my mind to start being really clear on something is that in my mind, and I'm interested in your opinion is, but I'll state my mind first to sort of set the tone is, you know, in my opinion is, is the failure of sellers to do exactly what you talked about resides with their managers. Yeah, it's the manager that sets the expectations uh, for what needs to happen and how, how proactive outbound calling needs to take place and to do smart calling as opposed to the classic, you know, pitch cold calls. Why, why aren't managers taking the reins and saying, look, we're going to train our people, create the culture that says this is how we interact with our customers. That That is a great question, and it's actually kind of mind-boggling for me to get my head around it. And the only thing I can come up with is that the, the managers who have that mindset of just get on the phone, make more calls, give me more phone time, smile and dial, uh, just go for the appointment. I, I have to believe that they're, they themselves are, are not educated in a, a good sound sales process themselves. And maybe they've been thrown into that situation. They, they don't know any better. And uh, the management above them doesn't know any better. And they're just pressuring them for for numbers and therefore what they're doing is you know it's it's a trickle down effect well it is absolutely and this but that's the you know it's part of my question is that yeah i i sort of tiring of this idea is that we keep blaming the salespeople. and it's one thing if a salesperson is given the tools and given the training and given the time to develop and they still persist in bad behaviors and if and if the manager can't change the behavior through their coaching and mentoring, then perhaps the person's not a fit. But the manager has to put that work in, right? The manager has to set the set set the tone, walk the walk, model the behavior, uh, set at clear expectations, and then use feedback and coaching to get people to do what needs to be done in the way that needs to be done. But if they're not doing that, then it's their fault. It's not the seller's fault. Yeah, you know, I, I give the analogy of, of what, yeah, when we were kids growing up, you know, there was always a kid on the block your parents didn't want you to play with, right? And and as, at some point, you'd always hear about, well, you know, the parents don't really pay attention to what he's doing, and you know, sort of laying it on bad parenting. Well, that's that's what I consider is really what's going on in sales too often is we blame the seller, but it's really bad parenting. Yeah, I would say for newer sales reps, most definitely. Because if they're thrust into a situation and, and they don't know any better, they're simply going to do what their manager is 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 telling them. Uh, if if you have more of an experienced sales rep and is hired into an organization where perhaps there isn't a lot of guidance, and I mean, 
I've worked with organizations that have one or two salespeople all the way up to, to thousands. So, and, and the number of organizations with a smaller number of salespeople, of course, are much more numerous than, than the larger organizations. So there are many cases where a small business will simply hire a salesperson or two and the, the person doing the hiring has no idea what, what sales is other than we need them, right? We, we, <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And we're going to hire somebody that uh, yeah. looks good, you know, has the superficial attributes we think a salesperson needs. And Yeah. yeah. And maybe they might send them to a course or buy them a book or might just say, you know, here's a phone, go at it. And in that case, it's, it's totally up to the salesperson to... Uh, go out and, and gain the skills and processes and, and whatever it's going to take to, to get the results that, that they're looking for. So, yeah, I, w- I would say for the most part, it's, it, it, it's top management's fault because you got to provide some guidance. But ultimately, at, at the end of the day, the salesperson is the one who is picking up the phone or not picking up the phone and, and having engagement with, uh, with prospects and customers. Yeah. Well, and my point was that if, if, yeah, with all the tools and technology we have that will be able to listen to calls, record calls, coach calls, and so on, is that if there's somebody who's persisting in the bad behavior, my point is management needs to get rid of that person and find somebody that, that is prepared to do what needs to be done in the way that it needs to be done. And and likewise with salespeople. I've had salespeople yeah. come to me and say, well, you know, my manager is clueless and they're insisting <laughs> that I place a, yes. a thousand calls and they say that, uh, you know, I don't need to do research before a call. What should I do? And and my answer to them is find a new job. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like finding a new prospect. You know, find somebody that's qualified for and uh, aligned with what you need to uh you know, your ideal client profile, you have an ideal company profile when you're looking for employment. And I've always said that there will always be jobs for great salespeople because I, I I mean, personally, I think a resume is kind of a a worthless tool. I think salespeople should actually follow the smart calling process when they're looking for a job. (laughs) Meaning, well, let's go, let's dive into that. That's interesting. So what, what do you mean by that? Well, let's say I'm a salesperson looking for a new opportunity, and and I have laid this out for salespeople in the past. I said, okay, well, let's let's look at what you're experienced in, but also let's look at what your what your passion is. What are you really really interested in? Whether it be you know sports or you know, whatever, and then I. I suggest to them, go and find companies that fit the profile of of what you're interested in, who sell a product or service that is something that's congruent with, again, your interests and or Mm -hmm. your your skills or your expertise. And then we're going to plug in the, the smart calling process, which is identifying what is it that that you have to sell to them? What is it that this manager or you know VP or whomever it might be, what is it that they're looking for in in salespeople? So kind of get an idea of that so that we can start forming our, our possible value proposition. Then we want to start doing the research. And the research being, of course, online and real-time research. So of course, going into LinkedIn, finding out who are the players involved here, VP of sales, director of sales, you know, sales managers, what, what does that organization look like? 
everything I can also find out about that company. What are they doing? What are their what are their sales results? Uh, anything you know? Any news about them? And uh, then, of course, I'm going to do some social engineering. Social engineering is simply talking to people other than your desired decision maker for the purpose of gathering sales intelligence. So I am most definitely going to call into the sales department and I want to get some salespeople on the phone and I want to talk to them about what is their experience? What do they do? Uh, what, and, and anything and everything that I can. And then, of course, I'm giving you the condensed version of this. But then based on all this, I'm going to put together my game plan for my possible value proposition to approach whomever that uh, that hiring manager might be. And it's not going to be human resources. It's, again, going to be the person. And I tell right. this to every, every salesperson. I'm looking for the person who owns the problem, uh, the problem being <laughs> we, we need more sales, right? And uh, then I'm, I'm going to a- approach that person with my well-crafted uh, email message, in-mail message, whatever my uh, cadence might be, whatever my initial approach might be. And again, there's a lot of different ways to do right. that. And that's how I would suggest somebody gets hired and and pitches themselves to an organization. And, you know, don't don't just you know put together a resume and send it out. To me, that that's that's ridiculous. You're you're selling yourself as a salesperson, so why not you know, follow a sales process? Yeah, and and to further that point is is a lot of times reps just work with like placement firms or you know headhunters or whatever, and and then you're only looking at what they present to you. And to your point, it's just like sales is, yeah, do the research. Who do you want to work for? And um, yeah, I I cold called and got a job one time, <laughs> a company I had read about that. I didn't do that much detailed research because it didn't exist. The ability to do that didn't exist at that time. I did as much as I could, but. Yeah, I read an article in Fortune magazine about a company on a Friday, and I cold call him on Monday to get an interview with the VP of Sales. Awesome! And then yeah. you got hired. I got hired, and I had no, <laughs> I had no background in the industry at all. But it, I was just fascinated by what they were doing. I mean, it was, and it was a big change for me from an industry standpoint. And actually, sort of took a step back uh, job wise to get in the company. But yeah, it just. Yeah, picked up the phone, so excited, just called, and somehow it, <laughs> somehow I talked my way into getting in to see the VP of sales two days later. Got a job on the spot. That's interesting. And, you know, and I'm sure there's many, many sales executives listening to this right now. I would say very few of them probably have had that type of experience where, where somebody just approached them like that with, with that passion and taking that kind of initiative. And, I mean, we all want to hire people who really, really want to work for us and somebody who's going to take that initiative, be creative, and again, uh, demonstrate the skills that that sales executive is looking for. I mean, that that's the entire package. Yeah, well, I think people, when working in environments we've had maybe the last 10 years where there's you know sort of an employee-driven uh, market where there's so much demand for for qualified people is they get sort of complacent and say, well, yeah, something interesting is going to come along, as opposed to saying, yeah, these are the companies, the handful of companies, this particular company that I really want to work for. And to do what we just talked about is do the, the prepared outreach as you talk about, the smart call. Yeah, they don't get those calls very often. I never did. I VP, I don't know, five different times um, at startups. Yeah, I never got that call. 
Yeah, great salespeople will always have a position. And uh, that, that's why I love this profession so much because uh, <laughs> obviously I'm biased, but when, sure. when, you're, when you're around top salespeople, they just exude confidence, uh, the, the communication skills, the, the, the can-do attitude. That's the greatest profession in the world. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you and I have both been in it for a long time. So yeah, no, no argument here. Um, well, our entire lives. I always, I always say that everybody's a born salesperson because kids are the greatest salespeople in the world. Some people just choose not <laughs> to make it a career. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. I think that's they're good at it. I mean, they can be very persistent. Uh, they can be very patient. I mean, sometimes. I mean, I my kids on occasion would fool me by I thought they'd forgotten about certain things but no they they came back and made their made their case uh, after you thought the whole subject had gone away well you think about it too kids are persistent askers and they are uh, deaf when it comes to hearing no and even my kids who are grown know still how to ask for the money <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think that ever changes so um one of the important concepts you talk about in the book, and we talked about this the first time you're on, but I, I, to me, it's it's something I'm such a huge believer in. Is is you talk about get a win on every call. So tell us what you mean by that, because I I I just think it's so critical. The subtitle of the book is "Eliminate the Fear, Failure, and Rejection from Cold Calling." And over the years, of course, I've had people challenge me on that who didn't read the book, but they just dismissed it, saying, "Well, that's not true because rejection is part of sales; it's inherent." And uh, the way I deal with that is, I, I always ask question in, in my training workshops: Who here has been rejected before? On, on a sales call or prospecting call, and people are falling over themselves, thrusting their arm up in the air. I'll say, okay, great. How do you know? How do you know? And then, of course, you know, the common answers are, well, you, you get a no, or uh, somebody tells you they're all good, or they're going with somebody else, or it's their tone, their dial tone when they mm. hang up on you. <laughs> and I say, okay, that's great. Now, those are all things that happen to you. Okay. Things happening to us, experiences are inevitable in sales if we're putting in the activity. Right. And, and that's always going to be part of it. So then, of course, I always ask, is rejection an experience itself or the way you define the experience? Then you see the light bulbs going on. Of course, it's always the way you define the experience. And we have choices. We always control the stories that we tell ourselves. So if you tell yourself that if I got a no on a phone call, I got rejected, of course, that is how you're going to feel. But why in the world, if you have a choice, would you choose to make yourself feel bad as a result of just something that happened on a phone call. And it, it's, it's interesting that if, if you look at it, so we got to know it was just, it wasn't a right fit or it was something that didn't work. Now, if you put it in terms of another profession, like an accountant, uh, if an accountant's spreadsheet doesn't work out the way they wanted, they don't say, oh God, I got rejected by that spreadsheet. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. So it's actually kind of absurd. So what I suggest salespeople do is, number one, just don't 
call what happens to you rejection. Instead, just look at it as, all right, well, it wasn't a fit. Uh, it was just something that didn't work today. Uh, and, and a no isn't forever. It might be just not now. Now, somebody else might say, well, yeah, that's all That's all well and good. Those are just words. Well, of course, words drive our feelings and emotions and, and actions. And I do suggest, and this is to your point, getting a win, instead of just leaving it at that, let's get something positive on every single call that we can call a win. Now, this does not have to be something that the prospect does. So it doesn't have to be getting the appointment or the sale. It could be just something we attempt every single time on every single call. And maybe it could be a question that we ask. Maybe it could be just getting a decision. And I can equate that with the win. So at the end of a long day, Instead of saying, oh, God, I got rejected 30 times today. Can't wait to do it again tomorrow, which actually never happens. Uh, We can say (laughs) I accomplished my primary objective three or four times, whatever that might be, getting an appointment or a sale, whatever. And then you could say, and I accomplished my secondary objective, which is that win the rest of the time. And the reason for that is... Sales is a profession where I firmly believe that about 90, 95%, maybe more of what we accomplish is due to how we feel when we're doing it. Going back to the accountant, the accountant can come in, you know, hungover, feeling like dirt, and probably still put out a passable work product. In sales, that's a little bit more difficult for us to do. Uh, yeah, I know, I've tried. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we have to proactively do things to keep our attitude up. And out of everything salespeople do, prospecting can potentially be the hardest because that's when we're going out and playing in heavy traffic on the highway the most. We're opening ourselves up to, to more of those potential setbacks. And the ones who do the best at it are the ones who know how to deal with it. They don't call it rejection. And they're, they're getting wins all the time. And, and I got to tell you, Andy, over the years since the book first came out, the number of people that have told me that that one concept just changed their life and their ability to go out there, pick up the phone and, uh, and, and help others, which really is what sales is. Yeah, well, and I think that's that's exactly right. That, that having that attitude about helping is one thing that helps sort of shield against the rejection because, again, they're not rejecting; they just don't need help at this point in time. But I, th- but the whole thing with the getting a win on every call for me, when I look back on my experience and when I was out <laughs> making tons of cold calls every day in the field, is I tried to learn something on every call, and that to me was the win. Right? If I could learn something about this customer, there was. Maybe when they would be in the market for it, you know, the reason why perhaps they weren't interested right now, you know, never. And if I could walk away with some additional knowledge about it, for me, that that was the win. And that helped me feel better about what I was doing. Yeah. And I suggest at the end of every single call, salespeople ask themselves a, a couple questions. One is what you just said, what did I learn? And then the other is, what could I have done differently or what will I do differently next time? And those could be wins as well, because I just I, I just learned something about myself that I can change to make the next call better. And mm-hmm. if you if you think about 
the, just the sheer numbers of how many times you could do that over the course of a, of a week, a month, a year. I mean, that alone could be a graduate degree in sales. Well, yeah. Uh, if you have that attitude that you're trying to continually learn how to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So a, a different question for you, and this is, you know, going through your book this time again is, is yeah, we talk about preparation and the importance of preparation. And interesting though, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, over the last year, certain parties are pushing back about this idea about research being overrated, right? That the spending too much time on LinkedIn just doesn't give a return or, or whatever. I mean, have you felt some of that and seen some of that? Oh yeah, no doubt. Because there are salespeople who will spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, social media and all this, and they'll call it research, but really what it is, is call avoidance. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to take a tremendous amount of time to get what you need in order to put together a good possible value proposition. And also, here's the other thing about time on on research. Uh, These numbers are all over the board. I'm always a skeptic when somebody throws out numbers like it takes so many attempts to get somebody on the phone or whatever. But whatever that number is, it's, it's more than one. So the next three or four or five times you're calling that person, you don't have to do all the research. You've already done it the first time. So that that is one argument against you know, we we don't have to spend a tremendous amount of time during our day uh, on research, but if 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 someone is is taking an hour on LinkedIn and they're avoiding placing the call, now we've got a problem. So I suggest that salespeople systematize their their initial research for again whatever it is that they're doing and what they're selling. Now, if you have more of a transactional lower dollar sale. You're not going to be investing as much time as somebody that is selling, you know, enterprise software with multiple decision makers into a large organization. Okay, I'm, I'm taking a little bit more time oh, figuring right. out what, what does the hierarchy look like and and so on. Um, so so yeah, I, I I you you can spend too much time doing this, and then the question is. Are you doing it to avoid picking up the phone? Yeah, and well, I think what's happened is there's been, yeah, some people that, yeah, obviously to your point, spend way too much time doing the research, call avoidance, and what the response has been on the part of many managers is just this general overgeneralization about if you thought sounding redundant, generalization about, well, yeah, just don't do any. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, nah, no, that's 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 going too far the other direction. All right, so I want to talk about, um, you know, your you talk about customizing your openings and, and I think this is another topic that, you know, people are f- paralyzed by is, you know, what do they say when they first, first call people and, and try to do it in a way that doesn't sound canned. I mean, and you talk about this in the book is it's, it's okay to have a script. You just don't want to sound scripted. Yeah. That's, that's the paradox with, with scripts, people who are against scripts, are against them because they don't want to sound like a moron and the, <laughs> or, or a robot. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the paradox is if somebody just wings it, that means that they're probably going to sound like a moron. <laughs> yeah. So the scripted is we, we want to use a script like an actor 
uses a script. And I define a, a script as the, the proper combination of words to use in a situation that is going to help us get the result or reaction that we want from the person at the other end of the line. And I, I use the analogy of if you were going to write an article for a, a trade publication or a, or a website that was going to get in front of all of the decision makers in, in your business would, I mean, it's something that could just make your career. Okay. Would you turn in your rough draft? Now, of course, nobody would. They would you know, do an outline and you go through several iterations of it. You'd fine tune it, polish it up. Right. Now, if somebody just jumps on the phone without preparing what they're going to say, and they say the first thing off the top of their head, what did they just turn in? Their rough draft. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and your, your, your polished version is always going to be better than your rough draft. Now, the key is, of course, in the delivery. And the way we write and the way we speak is much different. So that's why we need to spend time on putting together the right words and you know, following a process, I've got a process that, that we teach, and you also want to make it sound conversational. And to make it sound conversational, it's a combination of, again, using the right words, but then delivering it in such a way that it sounds like the first time you ever Natural. said it. Exactly. And, and that may take a lot of practice for some people. Some people are just kind of natural at doing it. Other people, it takes a little bit. I had a, I had a coaching client one time. And the if I can tell a story real quick, sure. guy had contacted me. And I, I don't do individual coaching anymore. But this guy, I mean, came to me almost begging me to, to take him on. And he was about my age. He had built a very successful um, company in the employee benefits business. And through a series of bad decisions, bad investments, and a very costly divorce, he uh, was almost bankrupt. So he said, I have to get back into doing the only thing that I know, and that is selling employee benefits. And he says, it's been forever since I've made prospecting calls. Can you help me? I said, yeah, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go through the course and then come back and we'll, we'll go through your, your, your value proposition. So he went through it with me and I said, okay, deliver it to me like you would a prospect. And, and he sounded like he was reading it. I said, okay, well, the, the, the script itself is good, but you got to work on your delivery. I said, <laughs> I need you to recite this into a recorder, play it back and do it until it just sounds like the first time you, you ever said it. He says, how many times do I need to do it? I said, I don't know. You tell me. He goes, what if it takes 100? I said, do it 101. Well, and memorize, <laughs> memorize it for God's sake. He, he called me back the next week. I said, okay, deliver it for me. And, uh, and he did. And it sounded just, I mean, beautiful. And right. I said, how many times do you have to do this? He said, well, it was close to 100. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, whatever it takes. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. What well, seems so? It seems like so. Here's an issue that that sprang to mind is again as I was reading your book again here the third edition. I have to admit I didn't read the second edition. I only read the the first and the third. But um, is you know <laughs> part of the issue has to be about what you're selling right in the opening because yeah you know, as you know and certainly in let's say SaaS businesses they're selling a demo or a call with an AE that really is really focused on us as the seller, not on them as the buyer. 
And it seems like that's one of the sources of disconnect that I hear oftentimes. So how, how can sellers do that differently? I mean, the objective is still the same, but how do they, how do they open to make that happen? Well, what every salesperson has to understand is that you're not selling a thing. Don't talk about your thing, okay? Mm. People, <laughs> and we say that in the nicest way possible. That's right. And people, yeah. people will object to your thing. But it's real tough to resist a potential result that appeals to them and is personal to them. So we, we don't talk about the thing or what we want to do. And, it, and and one mistake that I've been talking about forever, and there are people out there who actually teach the opposite of this, they say to do this, but to me, it, it just creates resistance. And that is, don't go for the appointment, mention an appointment, don't ask for somebody's time, saying, I like take 15 minutes of your time, or, or you know, a demo or webinar, or any of that. Because they really don't even see a reason to stay on the phone with you for another 15 seconds, let alone book another call with you or a demo or whatever. So really, all we're trying to do, I, I suggest that we have two objectives for our opening, and that is to put somebody in a positive, receptive state of mind, because if you think about what state of mind is somebody in if they pick up a phone call from somebody that they don't know who it is, we're normally in a neutral or a negative frame of mind or skeptical, right. all right? Not Defen- what we want defensive. them. Defensive right away. So we need to reverse that as quickly as possible, get them into that curious, positive, receptive state of mind. And then the only other objective is to get them talking. Because now if I get them talking from that state of mind, then I can engage in the questioning. And the questioning is what's going to open them up, get them talking about themselves, what they want, what they're looking for. We're building some rapport and then then we can move forward with with the rest of the call. But again, somebody opens up and says, uh, hey, I'm our subject here with business by phone and uh, we're a world-renowned sales training company. What I'd like to do is to um, arrange a call with you where I can show you, da 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 And I probably made about six mistakes just in that opening there, asking right. and talking about me, uh, no value, Asking for something, asking for right. a decision. Really, the, the here's here's all I want to hear after my opening to somebody. Yeah, sure. Yeah, what do you want to know? What, what, yeah, sure. Let's talk. Well, and that's and you you have a great suggestion, which is, and I, I really like this, is that instead of saying, "Let me ask you a few questions," you say, "I'd like to exchange some information with you." Yeah, I think I think that's that's genius. And that was actually submitted by a, a smart caller out in the field. And uh, that, that's one thing that we, we added to the book. So many examples like that. I mean, I, I learn something every time I do a workshop. I, I learn something yeah. every day from, from sales pros out there who, who, who are using the material. I just, just love it. Well, I think that that's – and I want to sort of not dwell on it, but just you know, make sure we re- reiterate that so people understand this. Yeah, that's, that's the type of thing that engages people, opens them up to a conversation, um, involves them, right? They've got a role to play in this, and, and yeah, people like to exchange information. Well, yeah, that way they don't feel like they're just going to be pitched. And I, I, it's funny, Andy, there's so many terms in sales that are negative when you think about it. 
getting past gatekeepers, right. cold calling, rejection, uh, the pitch. Yeah, pitch should be in baseball and softball, and that's it. <laughs> and uh, because a, a pitch is is one way. And like you said, if somebody feels like they're, they're taking part in a conversation, I mean, let's face it, people, I mean, the old saying, people want to buy, they don't want to be sold. And if we give them a role in the process, it doesn't seem like a sales call. It, it seems like a conversation that they may get some value from. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and sort of part and parcel with that whole thing too, with like, at least in my mind, I'd like to exchange some information is is really the the position you're coming from when you do that is yeah i think it's so important is to feel more like a peer when you're making these calls not as a a supplicant not as a somebody asking or begging for something but that yeah you've got a reason to want to talk to me the exchange information help them in some some dimension yeah and that that is a great point because too often and and It'll come through in a salesperson's voice if they perceive themselves as being at a lower level than the person they're speaking with. Decision makers want to do business with people that they perceive as as being a, a peer. And if you give any indication that you're intimidated or you're not worthy, they're just going to look at you as a as a vendor as opposed to somebody who has some possible value that may be able to help them. Yeah, and you you talk about this in the context of uh, I refer to Oren Claff's book uh, about the status alignment idea and that's yeah that's it is you're gonna act uh, less confident and be perceived as being less confident um, you know as, as you talk about you know if you apologize for interrupting or you know um, you know ask for their time or something like that yeah one thing I suggest that we don't say is I know you're busy so I, I won't take too much of your time okay because now we're apologizing and and you're also stating the obvious which is you're going to take a bunch busy. of their time <laughs> yeah everybody's busy right <laughs> so there's so many things that salespeople say right at the beginning of a call that that just shoots themselves in the foot and when when I work with sales reps and I review openings and voicemail messages even the the ones that are good that probably are getting good responses. Normally I can change a few words here or there and do some microsurgery to even make it a little bit better. Because again, words, words do have tremendous meaning. And when we have this small window of opportunity to either create interest or resistance, one or two words can make a difference. Yeah. Well, so the last point I want to get into here is we're starting to run down on time is your possible value proposition. Uh, so why don't you explain what that is? Well, forever in, in sales, the terms uh, value prop and elevator speech have, have been around, right? And yes. what, what we're doing there is that we are, we are creating something that we feel is going to be our big gun that is going to create interest with everybody. Well, here's the thing. When you really analyze it, you, you can't you can't engineer in value for someone. They can only extract it out. 
meaning that they're going to decide what's of value, right? So that's why I call it <laughs> possible value. So I call it a PVP, possible value proposition. And we, we create that, of course, based on our knowledge of, of what we have, our knowledge of, of buyers, which, and I believe all sales training should start with not the product, but the buyers. Who are our buyers? What's going on in their world? What are they looking for? What do they not want as it relates to our type of product or service? Uh, what's most important to them? All of those things. Now, when, when, I, when I know all these things, and then when I've done some research, done some social engineering, now I can tailor my, my possible value to them so that I can, I can maximize the chance that it's going to resonate with them. Because really, right. that, that's all that matters. And when, when somebody tells me, you know, don't do the research, you don't need to know anything about them, just, you know, go in with your pitch. I mean, to me, that is just, that's so ludicrous because <laughs> we are bombarded with thousands of messages every day and yep. we only react to a couple, if that, right? right. And yeah. how do we decide which ones we're going to reply or react to? Well, the ones that resonate personally with, to us, the most. And the only way that we as salespeople are going to have a chance to do that is to, is to make it all about them. And uh, so, so that's what we're doing with the, with the possible value proposition. And then what we're doing is we're plugging that into our messaging. We're plugging that into our emails, our in-mails, our voicemail, and the opening statement when we, we actually get them on the phone. Perfect. All right. Our, unfortunately, we're running out of time. We could go on forever because, uh, gosh, we didn't even touch most of the things I want to talk about. But we'll have you back. We'll do it again. So um, if people want to find out more about you and your book, how can they do that? The book has its own site, which is smart-calling.com, smart-calling.com. And uh, there are multiple buttons there for places that you can buy the book from, if you do Amazon, Barnes you know, & wherever. And uh, the real bonus of going there is after you get the book, I forgot to mention this, I had so much stuff I wanted to put in the book, but you know how publishers are. They didn't want to make yeah. it like a thousand-page book and make it multimedia. So I put together a free companion course and the resource library where every single chapter has additional material, both text, webinars, audio, video, uh, contributions from other people. And uh, I mean, if I were going to charge for this, I would charge a couple couple hundred dollars easily, but it's free for everybody who buys the book. And then after you get the book, you just go in there and uh, you can get ac immediate access to that course. So that's smart-calling.com. And uh, for anything else about me, you can go to the site smartcalling.com, no hyphen, smartcalling.com. And there's a, a lot of content there as well. If you're interested in, in personal training or speaking, uh, got that there as well. And then one more thing, I also have a podcast, theartofsales.com. There you go. All right. Well, Art, thanks so much for joining us. Andy, thank you for having me on. Very enjoyable. And uh, sales reps out there, I've been, I've been signing off with this for the last couple of months. Hey, the world needs you right now. So go out there, be confident, make things happen. Excellent. All right, Art, thank you very much. Okay, friends, that was it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Art Sobjek for sharing his insights with us today. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help. Thank you also so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Mm-hmm.